You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Have you ever felt so engaged in a project that you've lost track of time? Or maybe during a brainstorm with a coworker, hours flew by without either of you realizing it. If so, then you've likely experienced a flow state. Flow states are periods of time where you perform and feel your best. You're productive, creative, and pretty much unstoppable. We all want to tap into our full potential. But for many of us, getting into a flow state may seem like it occurs at random or like these periods of peak performance are only reserved for athletes and artists. Well, my guest on today's episode, Stephen Kotler, believes that everyone can learn how to make flow reliable and repeatable. Stephen is one of the world's leading experts on human performance. He's a New York Times bestselling author, an award-winning journalist, and the executive director of the Flow Research Collective. He spent decades researching human performance and sharing what he's learned with audiences around the world. In this episode, Stephen talks about the science behind peak performance, flow state triggers, the deep now and why time passes differently while in flow, how peak performance is linked to evolution, the six basic needs to achieve flow, and so much more. This episode is a cut version of a previous Clubhouse Live from last June, and I've also been lucky to have hosted Stephen on Yap Podcast twice before, episodes number 32 and 138. I know after listening to this episode, you're going to want to go back and listen to his full-length one-on-one interviews with me, so I've dropped those links in the show notes, and I highly encourage you guys to check that out after this. And if you're looking to tap into your full potential, increase productivity and creativity, you'll want to pay attention to this one. There's lots of synonyms for flow. And I think even if people don't know what flow is, they've probably experienced it. And they might call it something like being in the zone or having a runner's high. And we've all had this at some point in our lives. So to kick things off, to kind of level set for people who have never heard of this concept, what is your definition of flow? Thank you. It's a good place to start. I don't actually have a definition of flow. Science has a definition of flow, which is an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. More specifically, that refers to any moment of kind of rapt attention and total absorption, where you get so focused on what you're doing, so focused on the task at hand, everything else just seems to disappear. Action and awareness are going to start to merge. Your sense of self, sense of self-consciousness, the voice in your head, that inner critic, they're going to diminish and get really quiet. Time is going to start to pass strangely. Uh, The technical term is time dilation. What that means is sometimes 
most commonly time speeds up. You get so sucked into what you're doing that five hours go by in what feels like five minutes. Or occasionally, if you've ever been in a car crash, you've experienced time slowing down, so you get a freeze frame effect. And throughout, all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, go through the roof. So that's sort of a shorthand quickie definition. We'll start there. Psychologists have a little more precise definition, and I work on the neurobiology of flow. So we look for 10 or 11 different brain and body markers, and that's how how we define flow. Got it. I think that was a really good introductory to flow. So let's talk about some of the the ways that our brain reacts to being in a flow state. So what happens neurobiologically when we are in a flow state? What happens to our mind? So the first thing that happens as we move into flow is the prefrontal cortex. That's the part of your brain that sits sort of right behind your forehead gets very, very quiet. It deactivates. The technical term for this is transient hypofrontality. Transient meaning temporary, hypo, H-Y-P-O. It's the opposite of hyper. It means to slow down, shut down, or deactivate. Frontality refers to the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain right behind your forehead. Under normal circumstances, a really powerful part of the brain. It does things like complex logical decision-making, long-term planning. Your sense of willpower lives there. So does your uh, sense of morality. In flow, what happens is the brain says, okay, you need a lot of energy to focus on the present moment, to keep all your attention locked on the right here, right now. So we're going to perform an efficiency exchange. We're going to shut down non-critical structures, things that aren't working right now and aren't needed to solve the problem at hand. And we're going to repurpose all that energy for attention and focus. This is what happens to the prefrontal cortex. As it starts to shut down, this is why our sense of time gets so strange and flow. Time is essentially a calculation. It's performed by a bunch of different structures in the prefrontal cortex working together. And it's a network. And like any network, as parts of the network go down, you lose the network functionality. So in this case, we lose the ability to separate past from present, from future. We're plunged into an experience that scientists talk about as the deep now or the eternal present or the elongated present. The now just seems to stretch out forever. This, from a performance perspective, is really cool because most of our fears and most of our anxieties are not, unless you're kind of in a combat situation or an action sports situation, very rarely are fears and our anxieties present tense. So like as this time dilation stuff happens, what it's pushing stress hormones out of our system, which, and resetting the nervous system. Something similar, by the way, that's exactly what happens to our sense of self. Your sense of self, self-consciousness, that inner critic, that's a network effect. It's a bunch of different structures in the prefrontal cortex working with other parts of your brain and produces our sense of self. In flow, as this part of the brain shuts off, we lose our sense of self. That inner critic gets really, really quiet. And once that happens, as a result, risk-taking goes up creativity, because the voice in your head, it's no longer doubting every neat idea you have, goes up. So does enjoyment and satisfaction and joy and euphoria and a whole bunch of other stuff like that. So that's the first part of it. You're seeing a deactivation in the prefrontal cortex. I'm going to pause there and go further if you want me to. Yeah. So I'd love to like dig deep on that. Can we talk about why 
our brain is designed this way. Like I know that it's all because of evolution and survival. So talk to us about why our brain is designed to kind of shut off in some instances so that we can perform our best and be in the now and be super present. Okay. So you're asking two separate questions. So let me tease them apart and answer them one at a time. The first one is why is the brain performing hypofrontality? This is not all that unusual. The brain, as a general rule, is an energy hog. It uses 25% of our energy at rest, and it's 2% of our body weight. So at least a quarter of everything you eat is going to power your brain, and this is at rest. When you're doing something hard that is requiring focus and attention and work and effort, it's using a lot more energy. The brain essentially has a fixed energy budget, So it will shift around resources. So that is just sort of standard biology. It also happens as we move into any altered state of consciousness, you get deactivation in the prefrontal cortex. This happens during dreaming. It happens during meditation. It happens during trance states. People have experienced out-of-body experiences. This is very common across the board. It also shows up in drug addiction. That was actually the first discovery of hypofrontality was in drug addicts in the 90s. And they realized that drug addicts damaged their prefrontal cortex. And that was that loss of self-control you see in addiction because self-control is part of the prefrontal cortex. In flow, there's an energy exchange and you don't need to moderate behavior because in flow, essentially all your actions are sort of as close to perfect as they're going to get. There's no need to modify behavior so that part and you're running essentially automatic motor programs, you don't need the prefrontal cortex to steer. So that's why that happens. The second question, the larger question you asked, every human being is hardwired to get into flow. This is one of the things that's really well known about the state. Evolution designed all human beings for peak performance. We're all designed to perform at our best. We're all designed to drop into flow. Everybody listening to me right now can get into flow. Anyone, anywhere, provided certain initial conditions are met, can get into flow. So peak performance is available to each and every one of us. And one of the things we have to address is what gets amplified in flow. And it's a huge swatch of abilities. So in flow, we know, for example, motivation, productivity, and grit will get significantly amplified in flow, sometimes uh, 500% above baseline. The Department of Defense found that soldiers in flow will learn 250 to 500% faster than normal. You see creativity, innovation, all aspects of creative decision-making spike 400 to 700% in flow. We see huge amounts of overall well-being, life satisfaction, joy, euphoria, all these things spike in flow. In fact, it's one of the most well-known things in psychology at this point is the people with most flow in their lives are the people who score off the charts for overall life satisfaction and well-being. So there's a huge surge in happiness factors as well. There's a shared collective version of a flow state. So there's individual flow, me in a flow state, and there's 
me and all of you in a flow state together, that's group flow. It's a team performing at our best. And to facilitate that in flow, you also see an amplification in collaboration and cooperation. Empathy increases in flow. In fact, we're doing a lot of work these days at the Flow Research Collective with various police organizations throughout America who are really, you know, concerned in today's climate about actually increasing empathy. They think it's going to make them better at their job in the modern world. <laughs> I agree. So we're working with them on flow. And you also, the last thing that gets amplified is ecological awareness, which is our ability to see and perceive the natural world. This is the full suite of cognitive stuff. There's a big boost on the physical side as well. Strength, endurance, fast twitch muscle response goes up. Our sense of pain is decreased. And the question you have to ask when anybody lifts off a whole bunch of benefits like that is why would one altered state of consciousness do all that? Like, what the hell? Where does that come from, from an evolutionary perspective, as you asked? And the answer is evolution shaped us to survive. And the biggest driver of that survival instinct was scarcity of resources. Scarcity of resources is the largest driver of evolution. And that's the beginning of the answer to this question. So when resources are scarce, you have two choices. You can fight and flee. So you can fight over dwindling resources or you could flee to avoid being somebody else's resources. Or you can get innovative, get creative, get cooperative, get collaborative and team up and make new resources. That is everything flow amplifies. It amplifies everything you're going to need to fight or flee or get creative, get innovative, get collaborative and make new resources. That's what's being amplified by flow. That's why it's such a complete package. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me. But do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace to help me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me. I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. 
Young and profiters, it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. With inspiration at our fingertips and powerful tools at our disposal, the possibilities are endless. And when it comes to tools that can truly make your business grow, there's one name that always stands out, Shopify. <coughs> Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the real store with the door stage, and even the did we just hit a million orders stage. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts from blog posts to product descriptions. Not to mention Shopify also is the home of the best converting checkouts in the game, 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. Shopify turns browsers into buyers. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And you can sell whatever, whenever with Shopify. Push pleated pants with Shopify's in-person POS system or monetize mindful meditation. I sell my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass through Shopify and they've made my life a breeze. It took a couple days to set up my store and I just get to focus on what I do best, creating great content and marketing my product. So don't stress if you're new to this commerce thing. Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. And remember, whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting and that's all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash profiting to start growing your business today. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. It's so interesting. And I would love to kind of get your take on the types of people who typically experience flow, because when you're talking about kind of losing yourself, it sounds so intense. And it sounds like something that only like a surfer would be able to experience or, you know, a runner or an artist, some sort of musician. So I guess my question is, can normal people experience like true flow, yeah. like that macro flow that you're talking about? Everyone anywhere can get into flow. In fact, just to give you a couple of examples that are so far outside of extreme sports and or sports in general, the most common flow state is middle managers in conversation at work. We can talk about why. Two people start talking at work. They get so sucked in the conversation that ideas are really just spiraling. You see that sort of creativity and a couple hours go by and they didn't even notice. That's incredibly common. Coders and flow are foundationally common, but you have to understand that like video games can drive people into flow and it's so common that they can use the amount of flow produced by a video game to tell how well the video game will do on the market the more flow the game produces the better it's going to sell when they went looking for the highest flow environments on earth outside of sports and art one of the places they discovered was montessori education and there are a bunch of reasons for that and we can talk about why later but really flow is universal it shows up anywhere anyone provided certain initial conditions are met. To put it more specifically, flow is really trainable. And the reason I know this is at the Flow Research Collective, we train about a thousand people a month. And we train everybody from Olympic athletes and professional athletes and members of the U.S. Special Forces to C-suite executives at Fortune 500 companies to large swatches of the companies themselves. And I think right now we're working with everybody from Accenture, who's a business consultancy, to Audi, the auto manufacturer. So huge swatches of corporate America. And then we train the general public. 
everybody you could possibly imagine, insurance brokers in London and coders in Delhi and soccer moms in Iowa and on and on. And so on average, because we measure flow pre and post, we see a 70% increase in flow. This stuff is incredibly, incredibly trainable. Mm, That's so interesting. I want to talk about flow triggers. So we were just talking about evolution biology and basically the fact that to get into flow, you need to really be focused on the now. And from my understanding, these flow triggers really help you become more in the present moment and then they help kind of enhance and further your state of flow. So can you give us an overview of what these triggers are? I know there's like 20 or so of them. We don't need to go through all of them, but maybe some of the big ones and how they trick our brain into getting into a deeper flow state. Perfect. So yeah, flow states have triggers, right? You take one of our classes, one of my trainings, that's what we're teaching you how to do. We're teaching you how to use and deploy these triggers. If you want more flow in your life, as Hala pointed out, the triggers are your toolkit. And there are, you were close, there are 22 that have been discovered. There are way more. There are way, way, way more. This is just what we've discovered. And the easy way to think about it, and then I'll get into a little bit of the science, triggers will lower cognitive load. Cognitive load is all the crap you're thinking about at any one point in time. And if I lower cognitive load, I liberate a bunch of energy that your brain will then repurpose for paying attention to the present moment. So that's from a neurobiological perspective, what all the triggers are doing. And some of them are obvious. Complete concentration is a flow trigger. And that's the place you want, you have to start. When I work with companies, I always walk in and I say, look, if you cannot hang a sign in your door that says, fuck off, I'm flowing, you can't do this work. And I'm not actually joking. I'm I'm pretty serious. Um, We can talk about what that means for organizations with open office plans in a second. But on an individual level, what it means is you want to set a sign time for flow. And how much time? What the research shows is that you want to block off periods of time for uninterrupted concentration, if you can, that are 90 to 120 minutes long. This isn't arbitrary. Just like we have a 90 to 120 minute long REM cycle when we dream, we also have a waking focus cycle that's roughly the same amount. So the brain is essentially designed to focus for this period of time. Earlier, I mentioned that Montessori education is one of the highest flow environments on earth. Why is that? One of the reasons is they break learning into 90 to 120 minute blocks. So they literally map their learning periods onto what the brain is designed to focus for. In real life, what what does this mean? So in my life, in my life, it means that I like to start my day with my focus period. What the research shows is that if you really want to maximize flow, you want to start your work session, your 90 to 120 minutes in accordance with your circadian rhythms. So I'm an extreme lark. I love getting up super early in the morning. I've been up since 3.30 this morning. That's when I got up to start working. My wife's a night up. She's going to wake up in a couple of hours and she's going to work all night. Most people are sort of best alert in the morning, eight o'clock, nine o'clock. That's where they kind of stub into consciousness, but you can't really fight your circadian rhythms. So if you have any control over your schedule, what you want to do is sort of block off 90 to 20 minutes, kind of the period where you're going to be most alert, accords with your biological clock and practice distraction management. You can't 
beat kind of the salience network. It's going to win. So you want to basically shut off anything that's going to distract you from what you're going to focus on. From I like to start my work session with my hardest task, the hardest thing I have to do all day. And the thing that if I complete it, it's the biggest victory for my day. I want to start with the biggest win always if I can, or the thing that's going to just take the most effort or both together. And for me, that's usually writing my book whatever book I'm writing at the time. So that's sort of how I start my day. And I turn off Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and my cell phone and instant messages and all my alerts and my phone ahead of time. And I also have conversations. You know, and if you need me and you work with me, you know there's certain hours that I'm, I am just not available. My wife knows these hours I'm not available. And yet one of the, I always tell people, have your conversations ahead of time. You're going to do this work. Flow massively amplifies productivity. But you need focused time to get that amplification. So it's worth saying, hey, to the, all the people who love you or your bosses who want your attention, hey, you're going to get more of me. But to get more of me, I need to be more productive and you need to leave me alone for this period of time. That's the most common flow trigger. I'll stop there and we can go on. Got it. Got it. That's that's helpful. As we move further and further away from our ancestors and now we live every day device from device and we're spending so much time on these screens and there's so much new technology out there. Do you think that there's any technology that actually helps us get into flow or are you suggesting that when it comes to flow, really, it's just ourselves and our brain and kind of like hacking our own biology. I'm not suggesting that at all. There are lots of technologies that can help us get into flow. I mean, there's brainwave entrainment stuff that you can, that you, you can use that will help train up focus, but you know, you can use the brainwave technology or you, you could use a mindfulness meditation practice to learn how to focus the same way. Either there are a lot of those things. You know, at the Flow Research Collective, some of the work that we're doing is first we're we're building what's called a biophysical based flow detector, something that can measure neurological signals. Right now we can we have 12 or so different signals that we can look for, but nobody's put them all together into a single device that can say, okay, you're in flow. In the labs, we I mean even there's no one thing. We're trying to use a bunch of machine learning technology coupled to a bunch of neuroscience to try to solve that problem. Once we have that, we can start kind of building eye flow trigger based kind of applications. Okay, this is where your brain is. This is how we can drive you into flow. And what we really want to do, VR is particularly well suited to get people into flow, possibly better than video games. Not 100%, but it's much better. It gets it more flows triggers. So we're interested in trying to use virtual reality or possibly augmented reality, plus some of the other technology I already talked about us developing to build worker retraining uh, programs, high flow virtual worker retraining programs for uh, in, in the face of kind of coming technological unemployment. You know, if that's a real deal, for example, autonomous trucking is coming. Trucking is the largest blue collar employer in America. By 2035, 2038, when all the old trucks are off the streets and we've got autonomous trucks, a lot of people are going to need uh, retraining. And so if flow amplifies learning rate 250 to 500% above normal, we want high flow uh, worker retraining devices. Obviously, Um, If you're listening to this, yes, these same virtual reality platforms could be very useful in education 
to build uh, high flow educational environments. And we're hoping somebody will do that without platform. I am not going into that space, mostly because I don't want to end up in a giant curriculum battle with parents over what we should teach kids. I don't care. I just care that we teach them faster and more efficiently. That's not my particular fight. There are a lot of smarter people in that room, you know, in the education space than me. I don't want to wade into it. Hey, what's your question for Stephen? Thanks, Hala, for the shout out. Um, this has been fascinating. So, Stephen, I read your book, Stealing Fire, and I was a big fan of it, kind of describing the Navy SEALs and how they get into flow states. So, Hala, you actually asked my question about technology and kind of getting into uh, flow states. But my question would be, how long can we as humans, is there any research on how long we can spend in these flow states? Is there kind of a time limit to it? Or it just depends from person to person on how good you are in tapping into the flow state? So, great question, and a hard one. So, let me just start and say that there's this idea out there that somehow permanent flow, like I could live in flow, and that might be what we mean by enlightenment or like that floats around out there. From a scientific perspective, we have a term for somebody who's always in flow. We call them schizophrenic. Sometimes actually we call them manic, but mostly we call them schizophrenic. You can't live in flow. It is a four-stage cycle. It's a process. It's a, and there are four distinct stages. Only one of them is flow. You have to move through this complete cycle to get back into flow. People often sort of misconstrue dopamine imbalances as kind of like permanent flow states. So, so people with bipolar disorder can have, you know, huge, long, manic episodes that, that sort of feel like flow but aren't quite flow. And there's literally differences in the quality of decision-making and a whole bunch of stuff. So there are actual neurobiological differences there. The question you asked is equally difficult. Like how we know most flow states last about 90 minutes. And one of the reasons we know this is because dopamine and norepinephrine underpin these states. And those chemicals really in their in peak concentration sort of can only exist in your brain for about 20 minutes. So this is why, for example, TED Talks are 20 minutes long, because the brain's major focusing chemicals have basically 20-minute shelf lives. You can get another burst and sort of continue, but like there's a limited supply. So if you've ever seen an action movie, a James Bond movie, they do this to me every time I've ever seen one. Opening scenes have so many explosions in them that every time you see an explosion, you're getting a lot of dopamine, a lot of kind of norepinephrine, and usually about an hour into it, two and a half hour James Bond movie, you're bored and a little depressed. That's because those explosions stole all your dopamine and norepinephrine. And now you actually have to focus through the rest of the movie without feel good neurochemistry to kind of propel you along. But here's the wrench in all that. There is an altruism based flow state. So if you've ever done any charitable work, any nonprofit work, really helped others, my wife and I uh, operate in an animal sanctuary, dog sanctuary in Helper's High. You know, we work with very sick and very old, and we do hospice care and special needs care for, for dogs predominantly. And my wife's favorite version of flow is Helper's High. And Helper's High was discovered by Alan Lukes. He started Big Brothers Big Sisters back in the 90s, and he noticed that people who were volunteering, Big Brothers Big Sisters, would like they'd come back from their experience doing that work, and they'd be high in like a low-grade flow state for a day, maybe two. And so helpers high for reasons we're not entirely certain about, but may have something to do with the fact that oxytocin gets into the mix when there's helper high involved and maybe larger concentrations. We don't know, but that's one hypothesis, but it seems to last for a couple of days. Now, 
Here's the other caveat. You'll have experiences I've had in writing. Uh, anybody who's ever been involved in a startup, um, especially if it's really early days and everybody who joined the company is really passionate and you're working towards that first big product launch, that's like a group flow experience. Every time you show up at work, you're dropping right back into flow. And maybe you go home and you sort of pop out of flow and go to sleep and whatever and recharge and come back and you're back into flow. And that'll stretch on for like two to three months. So the real answer is we don't have a clue. You can't stay there permanently, but you can pop in and out for a while. But I will say, and I'm actually speaking from very personal experience right here, right now. I just came through a very intense period. I I undertook a a very difficult, essentially year and a half long uh, adventure that was extremely flowy for the past nine months. And uh, it sort of got shut down the end of May. And I've been sort of locked out of flow for about six weeks because I really was in flow on and off for, for nine months a lot of the time. So it's a really hard question to answer. It seems to be individual. Some of it's genetics. Some of it's early childhood experience. Some of it is how good you are at working with the state. People are good at flow. You know, any given day, I'm in and out of flow two or three times. And so is most of the folks that like I work with and a lot of the people we've trained. They're micro flow states. They're not big macro flow states, but that's definitely common. I don't know if that answered your question, but it's the best I can do because we don't really know for sure. It's one of those ongoing mysteries. Thanks, Stephen. Excellent answer. Really appreciate it. Great to talk to you. We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. I want to talk to all you employers out there, and let's talk about company culture. At Yap Media, we have a super unique company culture. We are all obsessed with excellence, and we even call ourselves this really cute name, Scrappy Hustlers. We're all Scrappy Hustlers at Yap Media. And my team is growing fast. And hiring is a pain in the butt, especially if you're looking for A players that are going to roll up their sleeves. But luckily, when it comes to hiring, I no longer feel overwhelmed by the search for the perfect candidate because I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed's matching engine always presents me with a pool of high-quality candidates that match my job description to a T. If you're tired of drowning in your hiring pool, Indeed is here to rescue you. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging your candidates, making the entire hiring process a breeze. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I've hired some of my best employees at Indeed, some of my best scrappy hustlers. With over 140 million qualifications and preferences analyzed every day, Indeed is constantly learning from your hiring preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets at actually hiring your perfect match. Join the ranks of more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that have already chosen Indeed to hire great talent. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash profiting. Just go to indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, I've got a fun fact for you. Did you know that by 2030, over 85% of the jobs that will exist haven't even been invented yet? And that's why we need to acquire new skills and stay relevant and adaptable. By embracing lifelong learning, we can future-proof our careers and our businesses. That's why you've got to check out Economist Education. Economist Education provides online executive education courses tailor-made for professionals just like us 
crafted by The Economist's own editors and special experts. Economist education courses are designed to sharpen your professional skills in key areas like data storytelling, critical thinking, sustainability, and so much more. I highly recommend checking out The Economist education course, Business Writing and Storytelling. It's packed with valuable practical advice on how to inform and persuade through writing reports, social media, presentations, and beyond. The best part, these courses are online, flexible, and self-paced, lasting anywhere from two to six weeks. You're guided by expert tutors. You'll dive into a mix of videos, podcasts, texts, quizzes, and weekly assignments. Plus, you'll get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning journey. Economist Education provides access to online forums where you can network with peers around the globe. In a world where knowledge is power, Economist Education empowers you to lead the way. Economist Education is an incredible way to stay ahead in business. And I've got a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course only available by going to my special URL, education.economist.com profiting, and then enter the promo code profiting at registration. This offer ends on March 31st, so don't wait. For 15% off, go now to education.economist.com slash profiting and use code profiting. Again, this ends on March 31st. If you want 15% off, you've got to go to education.economist.com slash profiting and use promo code profiting at registration. Young and profiters, I actually have a nasty habit of ordering way too many groceries. I'm embarrassed to say it, but I've wasted so much food in the past and I felt really guilty about it, but now my conscience is clear with HelloFresh. Each week, I get ingredients shipped to me with step-by-step recipes. I get fresh, pre-measured ingredients that get me whipping up delicious dinners in no time. And then I reduce waste because you get exactly what you need and nothing else. I love trying new foods and HelloFresh has over 45 recipes and more than 100 seasonal add-ons to choose from every single week. It's so much fun to pick out my meals. It's easier than ever to find something that everybody in your family will enjoy. I personally like to stick with the basics when it comes to HelloFresh. I get their meat and veggies plan. I love the options they have for that. And trust me, it's cheaper than takeout and with pre-proportioned ingredients, you'll never waste money on excess food. And now Green Chef is owned by HelloFresh which gives me an even wider variety of meals to choose from. There's something for everyone. I love switching between the brands and you can enjoy both brands at a discount with me now. Skip the grocery store and save time with easy, tasty recipes delivered to your door. Go to hellofresh.com slash profitingfree and use code profitingfree for free breakfast for life. That's one breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash profitingfree with code profiting free. I'd like to go off what Sohave just asked. And I want to ask, is there anything that like prevents flow? Are there any situations where it's almost impossible to get into flow? Because I think that will also help us understand how we can actually get into flow and, and what kind of environments are conducive for flow. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So I should talk about a bunch of different flow triggers to answer that question, but I have to start with Let me just actually start with something for everybody, because this is easy. If you go to www.flowblocker.com, there are six major flow blockers, things that stand between people and and more flow. We built a diagnostic. It's free. Anybody can take it. It will not take more than, I think, 10 minutes. Quick little analysis. You'll get emailed your results, and you'll get an action plan in that email on you know what's and it's very very practical and it's very thorough on exactly what you can do so that's flowblocker.com available to anybody that's a one place to start but 
I want to start by saying, hey, flow is peak performance. It's a high energy state. And if you want to make it reliable and repeatable and you want more of it in your life, psychology has sort of said, hey, for all peak performance, all optimal performance, there are basically six basics. There's three things that matter on the physical. I've got enough physical energy for a high energy state like flow. And there's three things on the mental side. My brain is sort of ready to even start doing this work. So I want to start there. On the physical side, flow's high energy state. How do you maintain energy for flow? Research shows you need three things. You need seven, eight hours of sleep a night. It's not really negotiable. Yeah, you can cheat on it and get by every now and again, but for flow to be reliable and repeatable over time, seven, eight hours of sleep is pretty much the standard. And I always tell people who, you know, in the startup community, in the entrepreneurial community, you get a lot of pushback. I can get by in five hours of sleep. It's this badge of honor. And I always tell people, uh-huh. Why don't you take a cognitive assessment online, like a Wonderlick test or anything like that? They're all over the net. They're free. Take one after five hours of sleep. Take one after eight hours of sleep. I don't think you'll ever go to work and try to perform at your best on a lack of sleep again. It's amazing how many percentage points of intelligence you lose with lack of sleep. It's just and two days in a row, three days in a row. Emotional regulation goes out the window. You lose a, bu a bunch of stuff you can't fight against. You also need hydration and nutrition. And it has to be high-quality hydration and high-quality nutrition. Um, I'm not an expert on those subjects. I'm just, you know, and I'm not going to tell you. I don't think there's any diet that works for everybody. Um, I think we're all individual, and you've got to figure out what works for you. And you really adhere to it because it matters for flow. And finally, you need robust social support for regular flow. And this is well-known in psychology with what people talk about it for kind of mental hygiene all the time. Like you need... Robust social support networks if you want longevity, for example, and positive mental health. That doesn't mean you need a lot of friends. What it means is you need solid, intimate relationships with a couple of people, and you need regular contact with those people. I'm an extreme introvert. I can get by on very little each week. Some people need a lot more, but you sort of got to figure out what you need and get it. And the reason is this. Flow is, is peak performance, and, and when we need it most is when we're facing a problem, right? When a problem shows up, the brain makes a threat assessment every time. And one of the questions it asks is, hey, are you alone? If you have to solve this challenge by yourself, if you don't have robust social support networks, if you don't have people who love you in your life, your brain goes, oh, wow, you're solo? This is a big challenge. We need lots of fear. I'm going to need lots of energy. This is a heavy thing. If, on the other hand, you have robust social support networks and you've recently reached out and had good conversations with people who love you and such, when a challenge shows up, you go, oh, wow, yeah, this is hard, but I got a lot of people to kind of help me out and pick me up should I fall down. And it, it requires a lot less energy and produces a lot less fear. So there's a physical energy penalty for not maintaining robust social support networks and really matters. So what I tend to tell people on this side of the equation, on the physical side, is to maintain peak performance. You can usually screw one of these things up a day. You know what I mean? You don't get enough sleep, but you've got good hydration, good nutrition, and you had a good conversation with your parents or your significant other or your brother or your friend or whatever. You're okay. But you don't want to do it two or three days in a row because it's not sustainable and you really kind of want to maintain those things. That's the physical side of the equation. There's also a mental side of the equation. 
for reasons we're going to get to as soon as we start talking about flow triggers, basically too much anxiety is going to block flow. Anxiety actually is essentially the norepinephrine. A little bit of norepinephrine, you get curiosity and focus and excitement. Too much norepinephrine, you get anxiety and panic and vigilance, and you can't stop focusing, right? It's a spectrum kind of thing. And to sort of counteract that anxiety, the research is really clear. There's three techniques. You should pick one a day under normal conditions. If you want to manage anxiety, you can do a five-minute gratitude practice. List three things that you're grateful for and turn one of them into a paragraph or my preference. I write out 10 things I'm grateful for. I write out each one three times. And the reason I write out each one three times is what you really want when you're doing a gratitude practice is the feeling of gratitude. Gratitude makes us feel safer. You're being thankful for something that already happened. You're basically telling your brain, see, look, life is not as scary as you think it is. Calm down and it works and it works automatically. And as a bonus, this is work. We've, we've done a lot of work at the Flow Research Collective on the neurobiology of gratitude and how it works with flow. We've done it in conjunction with Glenn Fox at USC, who's one of the world's leading experts on the neurobiology of gratitude. And we've discovered that one easy way to actually get more flow in your life, people with regular gratitude practices, possibly because it tunes up the nervous system, possibly for other reasons that we don't quite understand yet, have higher flow lifestyles than other people. So it's a quick flow hack for more flow. Uh, we also know that the other option is mindfulness. 11 minutes of focused breath work, meditation, respiration work a day tunes up your nervous system. It calms you down. It removes stress hormones from your system, makes you, gives you greater emotional regulation or 20 to 40 minutes worth of exercise, depending on your fitness level, will calm you down. And what I say under normal conditions, pick one. Stressed out, pick two. If you worked for the Flow Research Collective during COVID, for example, where everybody was stressed out, and it was really important for my, me that my staff you know, maintain flow and maintain peak performance, they were doing all three things every day. Or, that wasn't, or they weren't working for me because it was a really high stress time. And I felt that our, everybody's nervous systems were totally out of whack and everybody needed as much help as possible. So those are sort of this peak performance basics. And that's where I start to get into the peak performance game. We're not talking about flow yet, but we're, now we're ready to start doing the flow work. Now you can see why I keep asking Stephen to come back onto Yap. There is a reason why he's the world's number one expert when it comes to peak performance. Stephen gave us so much great information about the neurobiology behind flow, like how we're genetically designed for peak performance and how our brain reacts through hypofrontality to make flow states happen. In fact, when you're in a flow state, the prefrontal cortex of your brain slows down. This is a process called transient hypofrontality. And with this transient hypofrontality, and by the way, I feel super smart saying this, it switches off your inner critic and ego and then triggers a distortion of time. The brain then releases powerful performance-enhancing neurochemical cocktails while we're in a flow state, which leads to increased learning, increased productivity, increased creativity, and the ability to focus. That is absolutely amazing. The human body is so amazing. This is why I love to study human behavior. This is why I love to study peak performance. We are amazing beings. 
Stephen also dropped some stats, which blew my mind. He said that when you're in a flow state, motivation, productivity, and grit increase 500% above baseline and creative decision-making spikes between 400 and 700%. If that doesn't alone make you want to put in the effort to more regularly get into a flow state, then I don't know what will. So with that, we're going to recap some actionable advice on how to reach peak performance and enter flow states more often. The first tip is to set aside time for complete concentration. Complete concentration is a flow state trigger, and researchers have found that 90 to 120 minutes of uninterrupted concentration is the sweet spot. So if you want to get into a flow state, you've got to block off 90 to 120 minutes of time where you turn off your phone and tell your friends, family, and coworkers to pretty much F off. (laughs) You are unavailable at that time because you are fully focused. We also talked about how we need to be ready to reach peak performance. And this means taking care of ourselves both physically and mentally. The physical aspects in terms of peak performance are seven to eight hours of sleep. We always talk about the importance of sleep on the podcast. If you're not getting your sleep, you are not going to reach your peak performance. Quality nutrition and hydration is also important, as well as social support, which is something that people often forget about, especially high achievers like all of my young and profiters. You need to make sure you get that social support as well. The mental aspects revolve around managing anxiety. Anxiety completely blocks off flow. So Stephen talked about three techniques to help us manage anxiety. The first practice is gratitude. The second is mindfulness and meditation. And the third is exercise. We've got plenty of episodes about gratitude and mindfulness and meditation. So if you want to learn about any of those things, go check out some of our past content about those topics. And in terms of exercise, I'd love to share that now before any of my interviews, to make sure that I feel super clear-headed, to make sure that I don't feel any fogginess, I feel energetic. I bounce on my trampoline for about five to 10 minutes before the interview and really just get my heart rate up and just get my blood flowing. And I find that it really helps me feel more on point. So there's a hack for you. And all of these different things can help calm yourself back down and remove stress hormones from your system so you'll be able to maintain peak performance and flow. Well, I hope all these tips will help you throughout your weeks and your years, and I hope that you access peak performance easier now. And if you're interested to hear more from Steven about reaching your full potential, we've got so much great content with him. Go back and listen to his full-length YAP episodes, number 32 and 138. Also, the YAP Live, the unedited version, is from June 2021. So you can scroll back and find that one if you're interested to listen to it. And everything is linked in the show notes for your convenience. You guys can find me on social media at Yap with Hala on Twitter or Instagram. You can also just search for me on LinkedIn, Hala Taha. As always, thank you so much to my Yap team. And this is Hala signing off.